0: Good morning, North Point. Welcome to church. You know, before before I start the message this morning, I want to kind of give us a foundation um, that I think will be a great platform to launch from. And I know I've read this passage of Scripture at least a hundred times over the years, but I never saw it. I never um, saw specific words that that just had meant so much to me. Maybe it's because it was just uh, the passage reflecting and and speaking on the resurrection. Maybe it was the last chapter in the the gospel of Mark. Uh, Maybe I was just reading too quickly and so I missed this little phrase. But now that I've seen it, I can't unsee it. In fact, I have it underlined and read and highlighted in my Bible so that I never miss it again because it spoke so deeply to me looking at Peter's life. I want to read it with you. It's Mark chapter 16 and verse 6. It says, don't be alarmed. He said, look, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. Now, maybe you missed it, and so I just want to make sure I highlight the significance of this verse that, that just touched me so much and really is going to launch us into our message this morning. Up to this point, Peter, in, in this specific time period, had felt uh, like he is a complete failure. He had disappointed himself himself. He was a failure as a disciple. He felt like he had uh, was a failure as his friend to Jesus and so he left and went back home, went back to being a fisherman, went back to his old past life. I'm sure he felt shame and embarrassment and guilt. I'm sure he was doing his best just to bury the past. But if I was to read this passage again, and maybe in a paraphrase, I'd read it this way. Don't, don't stay here. Go tell the disciples. And then a pause. And then a smile. And especially Peter. That he's going before you to Galilee. If you see that word, it's, it's, he's going ahead of you. He says, go tell his disciples and Peter. It's as if heaven has watched Peter fall And heaven is saying, man, we want to help raise this guy back up and help him to see himself the way that Jesus sees him. He says, be sure and tell Peter that he's not left out, that Jesus wants to see him. Tell him that one failure doesn't make you a failure. But see, we live in a society in which second chances don't really exist in society today. Just ask the kid who got cut from the AU team or ask the man who's been laid off from his job or the mom with three kids who's been left by her husband for another woman. How do you respond? How do you bounce back? And so whether you're a husband, a father, a wife or a mother, a son or a daughter, sister or brother, all of us have stuff in our past Things that we've said, things that we've done, stuff that would embarrass us, bring about regrets and shame. But unfortunately, we often allow those things to then define us. And so we begin to just accept them that it is just what it is. And we try to move on. And can I say as we move into today's message that you can have a second chance, Just because you've blown it in the past doesn't mean that God's done with you. Doesn't mean that you can't rebound and that he doesn't have great things for you. Just ask Peter. See, Peter's writing decades later from this incident that we just read. In 1 Peter, which is the passage that we've been looking at for the last several weeks. 1 Peter is a series that we've called The Real Deal. And it's practicing faith in a cynical world. And so today I want to look at and want to speak with you about being an image bearer in your home. Now before you check out and say, well, gosh, I'm not married or man, my kids aren't at home anymore. Let me just let you know that this is speaking to all of us as believers. In fact, Peter's talking to the Christians in Asia Minor in the church. He's talking to those people that call themselves Christ followers. And so the passage can both be applied to the family and the home or for us as believers in the church. And so for, he just got done talking in the first two chapters of 1 Peter about godly living and living a godly life in a pagan society. And Pastor Shane's done a great job breaking those passages down in the last several weeks. But, but what better way to look at how we're living out our faith than be cl- behind closed doors? With your family, those of, in our family that know us the best, those that we often take for granted, those who we don't put a mask on in a public setting, that knows the good, the bad, and the ugly of everyday life with us. Now, can you relate to maybe this on a Sunday morning that yeah, there's arguing in your home? Anybody ever can admit to, 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 to coming and, and having a bad attitude when you wake up on a Sunday morning and, and maybe even because of the family uh, explosion that happens that morning, literally, have you ever had tears on your way to church? Guilty as charged. But yet, then you got to get out of the car and maybe you resemble this picture that's coming up on the screen right now. That's so many of us, That people that go, oh, look at that perfect, pretty little family. They got it all together. They're so happy. Man, we're envious of that, and yet they have no idea 15 minutes ago the words that were said, the tears that were, sh- that were shed, the pain that was felt. And so let's spend some time and see how despite, how maybe we've gotten it wrong in the past, we've done it wrong in the past, we've said it wrong in the past, Maybe we can institute some of the change that Peter's going to lay out for us today within our own family. That maybe we can be image bearers in our home. Open your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 3. That's where we're going to launch from today. And he opens a chapter in the first seven verses, talking to wives and husbands. And we're not going to go there, um, but I encourage you to read some great stuff in there. But I really want to start us in verse 8. Because in verse eight, I believe we have some simple family rules that are going to be so powerful that that we can all relate to. Simple family rules. Uh, have you ever seen these wall decorations uh, in homes? Maybe you have some in your home, and they're coming up, and it's you know family rules to live by, and, and they're cute, and, and they're and they make you laugh, and they're they're maybe thought provoking. But we can have some. We have simple family rules that Peter lays out. That's right from Scripture of how to live and how to act. And so 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8 says this. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. Peter is saying that if you are in the family of God, if you call yourself a Christian, let me give you some rules for the family. Again, these are both applicable to living out your faith as a Christian in your community and living out your faith at home. Peter says this, be of one mind. That's how he starts it. Be of one mind. Here's another way of saying that, and this is in your outline if you want to fill in. It says, I want to say it this way, live in harmony. Live in harmony. Now, we all say that I'm all about being of one mind, right? Uh, As long as it's my mind. As soon as the rest of the family sees it the way that I see it, guess what? We're going to have harmony in the family. But the mind is not my mind, but it's the mind of Christ. Harmony is not about me. It's not about my wife. It's not about my children. It's about us putting Christ at the center of our home and in the center of our lives that's going to change the family dynamics. Now, harmony happens when Jesus is in the center of your life and in your family. I get that it's really hard when your family isn't all on the same page and you're all at different places in your journey of faith and I want to just encourage you to press on keeping Christ in the center of your home. With doing that, you can make him the center of your life and the impact that that will have. My friend Tanya was telling me about how this was an issue for her years ago. She said, as she uh, has a husband and two two kids, and she began to get into God's word and begin to go into Bible study and really diving in to her faith and living a, a Christ like walk, and yet her family wasn't necessarily walking with Jesus at the time, and and she became known in the family as the Jesus freak, the Jesus freak. And so after a time of always wrestling and pushing against that, she decided that she made a metaphorical decision just to leave Jesus outside her home before she went in. And let me just let you guess on how that went in the home. And so finally as she wrestled with this and she got into God's word and began to to read and experience his grace, his love, and all the things that encompass who Christ is and wants to be in our life, she finally made the decision that she's not gonna leave him outside. Her faith was too important to her to leave Jesus outside. And so she said, I'm bringing him in. And over time, things begin to change. Friends, God has a way when he's the center of your life and in your home that change will happen. And so I encourage you, don't give up. Don't give in. As Tanya said, and I'm quoting her, I kicked Satan to the curb and wasn't going to cave to the world or to my family. And over time, her family radically changed. Today, her and her husband both are uh, serving Jesus together at church and, and get this one of her sons is actually a pastor serving in a local church here across town God can do some incredible things Here's the second family rule is be sympathetic And right next to that word sympathetic you can write the word empathetic right next to it because the Greek word it really means both it means that just I'm just not feeling sorry for but it's an understanding Let me give you this example Kids, this is for you. So, so listen, listen up on this. When an accident happens and your brother and your sister come to mom and dad and they're crying and they're upset because of something that you did or something that you said, don't you go running in and begin to explain how it's not your fault. As a parent, that drives me crazy. Because they see the the hurt, the pain of the, the of the of their brother or their sister, and as I'm trying to console them, the last thing I want to hear is you trying to explain and justify how this is not your fault. Start by checking in with them. Hey, I'm sorry. Hey, are you okay? Part of the family is that I look at things from your perspective to give you the benefit of the doubt to go the extra mile that maybe that I wouldn't go for a stranger that I didn't know family should get extra grace and empathy that says okay i'm going to put myself in your shoes and i'm going to respond differently family rule number 3 love each other love each other genuinely we can throw that word around can't we now, now, we have, some of us have seen two extremes of this word in our own lives. One mindset is, is that I said that I loved you once, and if it changes, I'll let you know. Not a healthy way. But the pendulum can swing too far the other way also, and we can use that word love as a filler word, because we love everything. I love, I love, I love pizza, and I love hot water, I love my new hairdo. I love everything. Oh yeah, I love you too. So it lacks meaning. It doesn't carry the same weight. But love is an action word. Is love an action word for your family? In your family, is love an action word? It needs to be heard, but it also needs to be seen. Many of you know that my stepdad adopted me and my brother when I was around five years old and Having my last name changed mattered a big deal, and I was taught that McDougals, they stood together. They had each other's back, and my dad would say that if someone has a problem with your brother, they better have a problem with you too. And I have stories that I could share, but I won't, because I don't want to incriminate myself. But to my family, love meant that we might not get along all the time. In fact, my brother and I fought nonstop through many years. But as a family, I love my brother and I love my sister and i do anything for them because I got their back. And I've made sure I passed that on to my kids. I've worked hard to make sure the kids knew that that same value was taught that we have each other's backs. Someone was being a punk to my nephew several years ago and just dumb kid stuff. But someone at the school had witnessed my, my oldest son who got involved in it. And it was brought to my attention because I think they were tattling, hoping that my son would get in trouble. But after hearing the complete story, he got nothing but praise for me, from me. See, he didn't overreact. He didn't hurt anybody, but he made it clear that if you mess with my family, you mess with me. And he had his family's back. Love says, "I have your back. I stand with you. I support you. You're going to be the first one to encourage that family member and lift them up when they fall down." So let me get personal with you right now and ask you some reflective questions. Does your spouse know that you have their back? Do they know that? Let me let me ask another question. Could your kids point to your actions that would show them that you love them? Or maybe this. When did you look your family member in the eye the last time and just say, I love you. And again, I'm coming at this from the family home, but Peter, in talking to the church and the believers in the church, do your brothers and your sisters know by your actions And by your words that you love them? Family rule number four. Be compassionate and humble. Compassionate and humble. Again, these are all from the the text that Peter laid out for us. And these are two words that are important, but would they be used to define your family? Do people see you as someone who has compassion for other people? To be a Christian, again, Christ-like, if you read through the Gospels, I love that, see, that, that you see Jesus in ministry and how he, he, he deals and engages and interacts with people. People that are far from the Lord, religious leaders, children, young and old. In Matthew chapter 9, he talks about Jesus going from Town and from community and village to village and he's teaching and he's seeing the pain and the hurt and the lostness of people. And in chapter nine, he says, in verse 36 says, Jesus looked at the crowd and he had compassion for them. He had compassion for them. Is humility a characteristic that people would use to describe you? Would people say that you are a humble person? Humility is often hard because, uh, let's just be real, many of us struggle with pride. And it keeps us from being truly humble. And so life becomes all about my rights, and my opportunities, and my wants, and my desires. And this is huge for families. Too many of us want to be heard rather than being willing just to listen. Too many of us want to exercise our rights rather than lay down our rights, because you know what? I care more about you as a person than I do about getting my own way. Would that describe you? How does this play out in, in, in the church? In the I have a seat, and so I get annoyed because I sit in that same seat every single week, and look, someone's sitting there. I don't like the music that was played this morning. You know, it was, it was too soft. It was too loud. It was too this. It was too that. Man, I tuned in, I thought uh, my favorite pastor, Pastor Shane was gonna be on today. And look, I got this bald-headed guy. So it becomes about the mindset of me. And when will we have the mindset that it's just not about us? Paul says it beautifully in Philippians chapter 2, verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, it says, In humility, value others above yourself. Are you one who values others above yourself? And finally, family rule number five write this down fight differently. Fight differently. We're all humans, and so friction, right? It's inevitable. We're human people that are going to have friction with other people inside our family, outside of our family. And we all understand this. And if you have kids and you really know this, that it's just a part of doing life together. A few years ago, I was in Kenya and I was teaching to a bunch of pastors and leaders and, and I don't even know the point that I was making, but sometimes I, I go off script. And so I had gone off script and I had, I had used this. It just came to my mind and I said, you know, um, uh, you know my wife and I, I got in a fight with my wife and, and I, I, da, 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 I don't even know what I was saying, but um, then I would let the interpreter then interpret you know, what I said into their language and often I would just get the blank stares. I was used to that, but when this guy finished, my interpreter had finished, the blank stares were almost like gasps, and people's eyes widened, and then I began hearing them whisper, and so I tried to hurry and just move on, I don't know what the guy said, he probably didn't interpret it right, I'm, uh, I'm thinking in my head, I'm sure it wasn't me, and finally our host, uh, pastor, pastor, he says, and he stands up and he goes, I think I need to clarify something. When you say that you got into a fight with your wife, we translate that, late that in our language to say that you punched your wife and you were hitting her. There you go. I just left, lost all my credibility to all these pastors that, that I'm a wife beater. I'm like, no, 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 no. I've never hit my wife. Let me go on right. Translate that again. I've never hit my wife. I learned an important lesson that day. Words matter. Words matter. Think of the words that you're using. If if I'm berating my kids or I'm speaking down to my spouse or I'm being hateful or mean in my speech, that's not Christ-like. That's not different than the world. So you can have disagreements. You can have conversations. You can not be on the same page, but you gotta fight differently than others fight. Go back to the text in verse 6 it says the scripture says don't repay evil for evil. What's evil? Evil is doing something contrary to what God wants you to do. And so you're going to deal with people in your home, in your family, at your in your church that are going to offend you. They're going to rub you the wrong way. Why is that? It's because we're all broken people that are just saved by grace. We're human, we're broken. And so get out of your head that, that, that people in your church are, man, that's for the holy people. If that's the case, I'm out of a job. Because it's not reality. In a place that, like in our home or a place at church, that should be the place you would hope that we can operate with more grace. Not less grace for those people that we say that we love and that we care about. We expect oftentimes more from them. And so then they disappoint. So let me ask you, how do you respond when you get hurt by someone that loves you or when you get offended or when you get embarrassed or when you get called out on something? What's your response? Is your response different than the world's response? Is your response different? Christ-like? Five great, simple family rules that Peter lays out for us that can radically change how we do family. And so how do we get along then with others? It's real, I got three simple, real quick things for you. The first one is this. Let's, let's go back in the verse. In chapter 10, or verse 10 of chapter three, it says, for the scripture says, if you want to enjoy life, And see many happy days. Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. I would underline that in your Bible if you haven't already. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. I have coined a phrase in my house and and I've ingrained it into my kids. And guess what? Today for free, I'm going to give it to you. And so I want you to lean in to your TV right now, your your computer, and and, and get ready to write this down because this is an important, this is a, a nugget for you to take today. And it's this. If you don't have nothing nice to say, don't say nothing at all. Wow, I know, powerful. Man, you should have me back every week to be up here with these deep thoughts. How many of you have heard that in your life? Kids, raise your hand at home. You know, if you've ever heard your mom and dad say that before, of course. A thousand times. Do you want want to enjoy life more? Do you want less drama in your life? Peter says, let me give you the quick answer right here. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. How do you get along with others? Here's the second one. Stop doing what's wrong and start doing what's right. Again, I know and you're, you're, you're thinking, you're going, wow, this guy's super deep. Haven't heard that before. No, it's not deep, but it's very practical. And it's very needed in our homes today. In fact, maybe, maybe you've already have even filled these out. You already got them because they're that simple. But instead of just writing them out and filling them out so that you have the right answer, are you living them out? You know the life that God wants you to live, start living it. You know those things that you're doing that are wrong that you shouldn't be doing, stop doing it. Make the choice today that you're going to stop doing those things that you know you shouldn't be doing. You're gonna stop saying those things that you shouldn't be saying. You're gonna stop treating people the way that they shouldn't be treated and you're gonna make a change. You're going to take a step in the right direction. And you're going to reflect on what's keeping me. I challenge you, reflect on this today. What's keeping me from being the spouse or being the parent or being the child or being the Christian that Jesus has called me to be? Here's the third one. Be the person who creates peace and not tension. Are you someone who brings peace or tension into relationships. A good test for you to see where you're at is if you seem to be involved in lots of drama in your life, a lot of drama with people and family members and friends in your life, can I just be real with you? Can I just say that if there's a problem that you're experiencing this, that you're the problem, it's you, you're the drama. You're feeding the tension and not the spirit of peace. And the truth is, some of you, you're in contentious homes today. Everything that I'm saying here, like, you have no idea what I live inside the walls of our home. And the attitude and the words and the things that go on. And so I get it. Emotions and feelings are high. And you may say to me that you have no idea what I'm living with. Let me give you a loophole to this last point. And it's found in Romans chapter 12. Great passage. Romans chapter 12 verse 18. Again, a great verse for you to highlight. So it pops the next time you turn to that page. It says this. If it is possible. As far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. See, you can't control other people. You probably figure that out. Even though you've tried, you can't. There are some people out there that are just mean. They're evil. They're hurtful. They're not trustworthy. And that the scripture says, as far as it depends on you. Another lesson that I've taught my kids is, you are responsible for you. Not for him, not for her. You are responsible for you. And often I get back, yeah, but followed by some excuse or some justification. And the following, again, is then me saying, yes, I get, I get that. But let me just tell you something. This is an important lesson in life. Life isn't always fair. But it doesn't change the fact that you're responsible for you. You get the choice on how you're going to respond. How you're going to handle that situation. And when I do it in the right way, when I do it in the Christ-like, godly way, can I just tell you, it can be freeing to you when you just read down in that Romans passage just a little bit farther. It can help you let go of stuff because let me just tell you, your dad, your father in heaven, he sees all that's going on. He sees inside the walls of your home. He knows what's happening. And so I can release it because he's gonna handle it. He's gonna handle it. He says, Don't take revenge. Don't act out. Don't respond. He says, Leave room for God's wrath. Leave room for God to deal with it. That's a mic drop. Enough said. I don't have to worry about it because he sees it. He's going to deal with it. And so let's finish up on why it matters in the last few minutes that we have. Verse 12. He says, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. And his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. You know why it matters? It matters because I'm his child. And God will, if you want to write this down, watch over the righteous. He's going to watch over the righteous. That's the the NIV and the King James Version says that the eyes of the Lord are on or are over the righteous. And you say, well, who's the righteous? It's those who profess him as king of kings and Lord of lords. Those who open their hearts to Jesus to be their savior and their king. Those who have surrendered their life and says, I'm giving it to you. I'm not a perfect person. Most of you who know me, you probably already know that it's not news to you. I'm not a perfect husband, my wife will tell you. My kids will tell you I'm far from a perfect dad. My mom will tell you I'm far from a perfect son and my friends, my co-workers in the office next door, they'll tell you I'm far from a perfect pastor. But he looks at my sin and he looks at my brokenness, he looks at my deficiency and his son's blood covered it through his death, his burial and his resurrection, making me righteous in the father's eyes. And he's taken direction of my life and he says that he's watching me. He's watching me. I'm made in his image. Psalm 34, I would write that over. That's that's Peter's quoting Psalm 34. I love it when, when New Testament writers are quoting Old Testament. It's great stuff on walking with God even when life doesn't make sense or isn't going your way. It's a psalm that was penned by David as he was hiding and fleeing his enemies. And yet still praising God. Here's the second one. It matters because God is actively listening to our prayers. Man, some of you, you've been praying for a long time for change. Some of you have been crying out to God for a long time and I wanna encourage you to keep crying out and keep talking to him because it says that he's listening. He hears you. We may not understand his timing, but our time is not his time, but he hears you. And here's the third one. It matters because God stands against those who do wrong. He's got your back. He stands against those who do wrong. Let me finish with a couple questions for you just to contemplate, marinate on this week. Does your home look, sound, or act differently than the rest of the homes in your neighborhood? We see if we had cameras in everyone's home and somebody was watching, would they notice a difference? That Man, there's something different about that home that would point to how you're doing life and that Jesus was the sinner, the foundation. See, God is calling us as his children to be different. To be different than others in this world. And so this last question is, are you an image bearer? In your home. Bow with me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your son Jesus Christ and the salvation that we find only through him. God, these simple rules that you've laid out, that Peter's laid out for us in in your word, God, I just pray that you would just help us to, to just really sink our teeth into these areas that we find deficient in our own lives. God, that you would give us the courage to make the changes, to live the life that you called us to live. To be the husbands and the wives, the sons and the daughters that would reflect you in our speech and in our actions. And God, people would look at our lives and would look at our homes and would look at our families and they'd say, man, there's something different about them and their neighborhood. God, give us the courage and the boldness to take those steps that we know are going to be hard. God, we thank you that you're a God of second chances. And even though maybe I've gotten it wrong in the past, God, we, I know that, that, that you are a God that, that is all about rebounds. And so we don't have to be defined by our past mistakes, but God, we can move into the future that you have for us. As we live our life, surrendered to you. We thank you for these beautiful words that we pulled from scripture this morning. And how we can apply them today. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.